you are listening to The Janine Garner Show. Janine is a leading expert on leadership and driving influence through networking and collaboration, passionate about bringing brilliant people together to achieve remarkable results. Join Janine Garner as she shares insights, interviews and conversations, and let's together make the remarkable happen. Hi there, my name is Janine Garner and I am the host of this podcast, Unleashing Brilliance. It is fabulous to welcome you to yet another episode uh, as I bring into your ears, your car, your lounge room, some incredible people that I know from around the world that have managed to unleash their brilliance to make more impact in terms of how they're living their life leading their dreams and running their businesses and their careers. And today I am absolutely thrilled, excited to share with you uh, today's guest. Um, And I really want to encourage you to strap in um, because you're in for a ride. Um, It's taken me a while to get Dominic on the show. Uh, Dominic Quartaccio is just an incredible individual that I have been following. Uh, I've met I've been inspired by for a number of years and to be witness to his own personal journey of how he has unleashed his inner brilliance and the impact that he is now having in terms of helping others unleash their brilliance too is is truly phenomenal. So in this podcast, we we talk about how, you know, as kids, we have so many dreams um, and magical dreams of what we're going to become. And question, where is that point? What is that point when we drift from childhood dreams into the 24-7 or 9 to 5 working expectation and conformity of what is life? We also talk about how for Dominic in particular, his journey of going from childhood dream to then uh, earning an absolute fortune, working for as a sales exec for Prudential Financial in New York City and having his biggest years, making more money than he's ever had ever anticipated and yet not being happy. And yet despite outwardly looking like he had everything, inwardly he was drowning, drinking too much, um, self-abusive behavior, and and essentially getting into a really, really dark place. And he shares with us how he found his way out of that to ultimately unlock his brilliance and become the person he is now. And how to do that sometimes, we have to experience ego death. We have to uh, kill off the old ego and identify the new ego and essentially um, rebirth ourselves to become something new. So this podcast really is a journey into, uh, this interview really is a journey into Dominic's life and world and how he is now supporting so many incredible people. He's an international speaker. He is the author of a book called Design Your Future and he works with high performers in burnout-rich environments. He's got an absolute passion for guiding men to do their inner work through men's retreats and his uh, Man Amongst Men podcast, and he has got a fabulous TED Talk, which I really recommend you listen to. He's also an outspoken champion of women's issues, having spoken for a number of women's industry groups and facilitating conferences around the world uh, to help them unlock their brilliance. Um, So please welcome 
to today's podcast. Grab yourself a cup of tea, whatever your drink of choice is, a glass of water, and um, listen in to what I think is one of my favorite podcast episodes of all time. Finally, I managed to get you on the show, Dominic. I can't <laughs> believe how long this has taken us. Uh, what, just nine months, a measly nine <laughs> months to make this happen. <laughs> and it's almost like we ne- we needed the current world events to uh, force us to be in one space and not traveling around the world to, to facilitate this conversation. So I'm incredibly grateful that I've managed to grab you today. <laughs> I'm really looking forward <laughs> to the conversation too, Janine. And, it and it's amazing since the last time I saw you, the world has completely changed, right? Because I was in Australia, um, leaving yeah. Australia right during the outbreak of the coronavirus. And I live here in New York City. And as soon as I got home, I basically went in quarantine and I haven't been out. As it's been, you know, three months since then. So this is these are really interesting times to be having this conversation with you. And to just be, I can still remember the last time I saw you, I can remember what I was wearing. I can remember the hug that you gave me because Dominic's a brilliant <laughs> hugger. Uh, so so part of my world. And um, and yeah, I can imagine. I can only imagine what it would have been like to land back in uh, in New York to be to be faced with uh, everything that was happening at the time and everything that continues to happen. Um, so so unsettling. But you're keeping safe. Most important thing right now. I am. I'm fortunate to be able to say that I'm safe. My family, who lives in New Jersey, which is just about an hour hour and a half away from me, they're safe and healthy. So yes, I'm I'm fortunate to say everything's good here for me, Janine. So I'm really excited about this this conversation because I've had the luxury of watching your journey over the last few years and uh, seeing you in your current space in terms of the passion that you have for the work that you are doing just actually gives me goosebumps because it's like, yes, he's arrived. So I can't wait to share that with this audience. But let's go right back if we can. Um, you know, as a kid, Dominic, what... Can you remember what you were like as a kid and even what the dreams were that you had in terms of what you thought you'd be when you grew up? Oh my gosh, of course. I mean, when I was a kid, I was just like this hypersensitive ball of energy that loved sports more than anything in the world, right? So I was always playing either baseball or football, American football. Um, I was collecting baseball, football cards, basketball cards, spending hours in the room, memorizing statistics, organizing my cards. Like I, it was almost, it was almost like obsession. And when I was a kid, there was no bigger dream in the world than to play center field for the New York Yankees, which was my team growing up. And so there was, you know, like my really early childhood, you know, from the, the moment I can remember to probably around like ages 11 and 12, like that was my life was thinking, I want to play baseball for the Yankees. That's what I want my future to be. And I was always a really gifted athlete, but you know, there's a certain age where you figure out I'm not going to be spending the rest of my life um, collecting a paycheck professionally. I wasn't the right size. I didn't have the arm strength. I wasn't the fastest kid in the world. I was good at what I did, but I wasn't going to be a major league baseball player. So I would say, you know, when I gave up on that dream, maybe early teenage years, I didn't have anything that really replaced that. And I think that probably a lot of people can relate to that concept of, you know, being very clear with a child's mind of all these fantastical ideas and dreams that we have. And then we get hit with that two by four of reality at some point 
that tells us that maybe that's not within our reach, but we don't necessarily know what that next thing is. Uh, Cause I don't know if anyone grows up thinking I'm going to sell retirement plans for a living, or I'm going to go and litigate corporate <laughs> you know, arguments between two firms with one another. They don't know that at an early age. And so it's kind of like, I, I started to basically just drift at that point in time into you know my schooling, um, which you know I think I think what I started to learn at that point in time was get the job that's going to pay you the most amount of money that's going to provide safety. And I think I kind of followed that default path that many many others that I actually work with now have done as well. Mm-hmm. I think I love that uh, that concept that you just painted in my my head around you know the wonderful magical curiosity dreams that we have as kids and at some point um, we drift into some level of conformity or expectation Mm -hmm. or standard of what we should be like as a human being, um, which I'm sure we're going to explore. But but what what did that mean for you? Where did you what what then became the day job of Dominic? So from uh, from baseball player to what did you what did you end up doing? Uh, yeah. So are we talking about me still being in school, or now I'm like in the corporate world? Corporate world, I reckon. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so when I went to University of Richmond, which was uh, the college, the, the the university I went to for four years. I had no concept whatsoever what I wanted to do afterwards. Um, the The way I picked my first job was I looked at some kids who had graduated the years before me that I respected that went out, got jobs, and they were like, yeah, this company is pretty good. And it gives you a pretty good, you know, it gives you an opportunity to to develop. So I went and took a job at a healthcare company, Cigna Healthcare, which was, you know, one of the biggest healthcare companies in the country here. Um, and I, I went into this you know, rotational development program in human resources. So I spent my first two years in human resources doing six month rotations, which sounded really appealing to me because I was like, okay, if I don't like this job, I'll rotate in six more months. And for two years, I get a chance to figure out where, what path I want to take. I never really loved anything that I was doing. I was never really lit up by any of it, but I, I kind of enjoyed the opportunity to get invested in by a large corporate organization. And when I did finally pick a lane, I picked a lane um, in a retirement services company that sold like 401k plans, which is our health, which was our retirement system here. And I was in basically in the investment management arena for about 13 years. Uh, it did really well for me. Like I, I was able to get a sales job at an early age. I got promoted to a VP level at a young age, made good money. The, the company invested in me. So I was like growing and I was expanding and I was building my nest egg and I had more opportunities and flexibility, I would suppose, to, to look upward and, and see what other jobs I wanted. But I think my, my real turning point, Janine, hit when I was um, 30 years old. And this was, this was when, like, when the Great Recession hit. So I had that year my best sales year of my entire life. Like I was the youngest salesperson in the company doing my job by about 15 years. So I was 30. The next you know, youngest salesperson was 45. And I tripled my sales goal that year. I'd just been working on deals for a few years that had all closed in one year. And I tripled my sales goal, made this life-changing money. And I, I felt this momentary blip of excitement. And then everything kind of receded back to normal. And I was like, whoa, I thought I was going to enter some sort of like Nirvana-like state, you know, I just ascend to the top of the mountain and see the world in a different place. And it didn't feel like that at all. And when I started to recognize that I had 30 or 40 years left of work in front of me, 
and this was as good as it was going to feel, that scared me. It scared me senseless, but I also had no clue where to go to look for any other alternative because this was like, I'd put the blinders on in my, in my, you know, in my studies and then also in my corporate world and in my corporate uh, trajectory. So I kind of spent the next year lost, um, drinking too much, going out too much, uh, working too much. I just, I did the more and bigger thing because I thought that that's what would solve my problems. And, and I ended that year, even though it was like the most successfully financial, financially successful year of my life. And on paper year of my life, the best, it was the darkest year of my life from a personal perspective. Can you expand on that? Have you got a story that you think about or that you can share that that will paint a picture for that darkest year of your life? Is there a moment that you remember where you went, this is just ridiculous. I can't continue like this. Yeah, it was it was near the end of 2009 where, you know, at the end of the year I took out one of my I was a salesperson for Prudential and there was a, a person who's a sales associate. He basically was, you know, my right hand, the guy who helped support me do everything. We had such a great year. I took him out in the city to thank him. And I, I just remember just drinking way too much, just to the point where I blacked out. I don't remember getting home. Um, it scared me. And I woke up feeling like trash. And I was just like, where have I gone? You know, I looked at the kind of man that I believed myself to be. And then I looked at my behaviors and there was such a gap between the two. And I didn't know where to go. So, and, and, and as a, and this is one of the other things I talk quite a bit about when it, with respect to men is I grew up learning that speaking out about insecurity or not having the answer, or not knowing where to go, that was what made me weak. That's what I believed. And so I didn't talk to anybody about this or I didn't have any relationships that I could go to to speak to about this, except for one woman in my life who is like one of my dearest friends to this day. Her name is Melissa Goldberg. And I reached out to her and I just told her, Melissa, I hit a bottom. I am lost. I'm directionless. I feel like I'm not the man that I thought I was. I'm ashamed of myself and I have no idea where to begin. And thankfully she was, um, as compassionate as she is, like there was no judgment. I was fortunate to have someone that received me without judgment and without advice giving, you know, she just listened to all of it and asked me if, if I, if I wanted some guidance based on what she could see. And I said, yes. And she, she offered a couple of books to me. Tim Ferriss's four hour work week was one David Data's the way of the superior man, which is really like a book about purpose and finding your way in this world as a man. And then she pointed me to a, um, an education program, like a workshop called the Landmark Forum here in New York City. And I took those three things and she, she created a monster because from that point forward, I've, I've been on this personal development path ever since. And that was the beginning stages of me, you know, actually thinking that I could live a life of my own design. When you talk about unleashing the brilliance within, I had no concept of that because I'd always been following what the church told me to do, what my parents told me to do, what teachers told me to do, what bosses told me to do. I, and I was really good and gifted at delivering on what other people expected from me, but I had no inner compass, none, you know, no inner compass. And it was at that point in time where I hit my bottom that I recognized I'm so lost. 
that I need to find my own way. And, you know, Melissa pointing me in the direction that she did was like this, this journey that I will be on for the rest of my life of going deeper and deeper into my center. Oh gosh, <clears throat> I've got so many questions I want to ask, but in the, in the spirit of making sure that, uh, we give our audience the whistle-stop version of, of Dominic and how to, you know, how to help themselves. The first thing before I move on, when you were in that year or those years of, as you said, sort of obliviously getting further and further into a, a dark hole of you, oops, sorry, um, did the world around you see it, do you think? So, you know, did work see it? Did your clients see it? Did your team see it? Um, or were you so per you were, had you become awesome at painting a picture for the outside world and yet inside feeling very different? This is such an awesome question, Janine. Um, one of the things that I've spoken about on my journey that seems to resonate with so many people across so many different lifestyles is this concept of having a public and private life. And, you know, the private, the public life is the life that I portrayed to the world that I believed would get me loved, that get, would get me acceptance, that would get me promotions, that would get me social standing. And they did all of those things, or maybe not the, the love part so much, maybe not authentic love, but I would say I got pretty much all those other things. And then there's this private world that we put the rest of ourselves that are just not neatly assimilated into society or into our families or into our romantic relationships, or into our workplace. We hide those things away because they think that they're going to be a threat to our income, our ability to be loved, being left behind, any of these things. And I was masterful, like you said, about putting a, a, like a, a, an image out to the world that I had everything together. Now, if you were close to me, if you were someone who was close to me in my life, what you would have known about me was that I was incapable of intimacy, right? And when I say intimacy, I just mean like being able to open my heart, being able to go deep, being able to reveal, to show you what's really going on inside of me. I was incapable of that because that would mean going into my private world. And if you were to see what's in my private world, then you would either think that I'm a phony or that I'm weak, right? Or, or that I'm, I'm, I'm ugly or that, I, you know, any of those judgments I was afraid of. So no, the rest of the world did not know what was going on outside because I was masterful at keeping this, you know, front stage, backstage thing going on. And so many of the people that I work with can totally relate to that, um, whether it's, you know, in their personal lives or professional lives or anywhere else. And so what, what have you, so you, you said that, um, you know, you've gone on this incredible journey which will never stop now. It's part of your life of essentially unleashing your brilliance. And uh, I'm grateful that you're on this journey because the world needs your work. But what are you finding out about yourself as part of this journey? Yeah, you know, it's, what's, what's really amazing, Janine, is that what I found out about myself is that I am dramatically and vastly more capable of everything than I ever thought possible. Like when I did this journey, when I stopped looking so much to the outside world for approval, whether it came through the form of status inside of a large organization, whether it came in the approval of like what, what belt I wear at Thought Leadership Business School, which is, you know, for those of you who haven't heard, you know, we wear like these different color karate belts that they kind of associate with how much income we make. 
um, you know, when, when I stopped fo- focusing so much on the applause and the praise of the outside world and really started to attune my senses to what I wanted internally, everything in my life shifted. So for example, you know, there was always this part of me, this calling inside of me that I couldn't quite put my finger on to go out and live a life of my own design, to become an entrepreneur. And I always had this story in my mind that said, hey, but you don't have the discipline to do that. You don't have the willpower to do that. You're too lazy to do that. You get distracted too much to do that. You don't have the confidence to do that. You know, you're really good at playing someone else's game. And when they lay out the rules and they tell you what's expected of you, you are exceptional there. And I learned that very early on. So like there was always these competing stories. But when I started to go through this inner work journey, like when you talk about unleashing the brilliance, I didn't realize how fascinating of a human being I am. And I don't say that from a place of arrogance. I tell everybody that you are so much more fascinating than you have even given yourself credit for because you're too busy looking at everyone else and being fascinated by them that you've forgotten the most fascinating person of all, which is you. And I felt I, I missed that journey too. So as I started to go upon you, you know, hiring coaches, when I went on meditation journeys, as, which has been a part of my practice for the last seven years, as I started traveling the world by myself, because I always thought that traveling on your own was weird or that you were, you know, you were alone. No one wanted to be with you. So I started to travel on my own to break down that story. Then all of a sudden I started to find out the things that actually inspired me, that, that, that like called on that fire in my heart, in my soul. And I soon realized that my chapter in corporate which was like one of the most fulfilling times of my life because of how much growth and how much financial security I built, how much um, development that the organization built in me. When I realized that those 15 years were done, it was time to move on. It didn't feel like a failure. It felt like I'd lived a chapter of my life fully with some you know, ups and downs. And so I decided that, okay, I'm going to build this two-year plan. This was back in 2014. In 2016, I'm going to leave. I'm going to start my own thing. I'm going to speak. I'm going to write. I'm going to coach. I don't know exactly what it's going to look like, but it's going to be amazing. And when I made that journey back in 2016, when I left the corporate space to start this new life, you know, which I've been in for four years now, um, what I've come to learn is like I'm far more capable. I'm far more creative. I'm far more brilliant, you know, using your word. Um, than I ever thought possible. And what that brings is a color to my life. It brings a texture to my life. You know, we talk about childhood, those dreams that we had and some point along the way, just kind of reality sets in and we drift from it. I've now feel that sense of excitement again, because I can create anything. And it's not because I'm an entrepreneur, I can create anything. Most of my clients are not entrepreneurs. They're men in corporate spaces. When they start to recognize that there's far more of their life that they can author right now than they thought possible, then that child life kind of excitement, that spontaneity, the mystery and joy of life starts to come back. So that's that's been the biggest um, or one of the biggest ahas of my journey so far, Janine, and, and a lot of the people that I have a chance to to work with as well. And just listening to you, Dominic, I can hear the energy and the excitement and the passion in terms of what you do. Um, for our listeners, can you can you just share your mission, what your mission is right now? Because you shared with it, you shared it with me offline and I went, wow, there's there's a North Star in terms of the work that you're doing. 
Yeah, I appreciate that, Jeannie. So the, the mission that centers all of my work is to help 10 million men over the next 10 years to get on the path of doing inner work on themselves so they can discover and live the great man that's within them. Now, there's a few pieces to this, right? So <laughs> should I let that be a little bit of silence there? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so first and foremost, I, I, I run a podcast called The Great Man Within Podcast. I run a mastermind called The Great Man Mastermind. And what this is, is this belief that every one of us, every man has a great man living inside of him. Every woman has a great woman living inside of her. And it's based on this definition that I heard a few years ago, the definition of hell that really woke me up. So the definition of hell is at the end of your life, the person that you became meets the person that you could have become. Right? We think about this duality of the person you became meets the person that you could have become. And this person that you could have become is the one that if you had played life full out, right? if you had lived your fullest potential, if you had taken risks, right? If you had gone and lived at your edge, that's the kind of life that you would have lived. One that you'd been satisfied taking your last breath here on earth and realizing I played this game full out. But many of us just kind of get comfortable or we, you know, fear things so much that we try to narrow our life down into this predictable thing that we strangle all of the life and the humanity out of it. And many of us end up losing, you can see in certain people's eyes or in their energy, you can feel that that the life force within them is diminishing. And in some, in some cases, it feels like it could never come back. I'm speaking to the greatest version of you. And this is why we love hero stories, right? Like in the matrix with Neo, you know, he used to be this kid sitting behind his computer, toiling away in obscurity until Morpheus comes by and says, you're the chosen one. And then he goes on and saves the world. And Every one of us has the great version inside of us if you know how to connect with him or her. And then when I think about if 10 million men over the next 10 years can wake up to this greatness that's inside of them and can start to work together in community with other men instead of just centering their lives around just work and making their lives around their identity of just work to actually forge real bonds with other men to recognize their role in helping to bring equality to women's issues, to, to understand how to create safe environments for themselves and others to thrive. If 10 million men can wake up to this, it will create a tectonic shift in humanity. And I believe, you know, when I first started this, when that, when that vision first came to me and I was hiking in, 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 uh, in the Rocky Mountains in Colorado where that came to me, 10 million men seemed like a lot. It's, I mean, it is a lot. It seemed overwhelmingly like who the heck am I to have that kind of dream. But over the last like nine months as I've been working on it, it actually seems like I may have undershot it because a global pandemic wakes up a lot of people, a lot of people. And I don't have to do a lot of heavy lifting because there's a lot of people right now questioning their lives, how they've structured their lives, some of the assumptions they've built their lives upon, whether you're a man or a woman or however you identify. And so that awakening process took one huge step away out of, out of my responsibility. So now it's a matter of being found, right? And finding those people who are ready to get on the path. And I'm not the only one who's going to be doing this 10 million thing. Like I'm, I'm, I'm working with other leaders who can help bring these guys onto a path and keep them on it. So yeah, I think, uh, I think we are at the footsteps of a really exciting period of time for 
many different groups of people. And, you know, my particular group of people are, are the men in this world who are looking to level up and live the greatest version of themselves. So you talk about this being a tectonic shift. And at the same time, we're living in a massively tectonic shift um, in culture, in terms of uh, the societal changes that are going on, both from a female perspective, a race perspective, a family perspective. We've got tectonic shifts in terms of economic. We've got tectonic shifts uh, from a health perspective with the pandemic. So everywhere there's these tectonic shifts going on. What, What about that's going on right now for you is driving you in terms of if why men in particular, because I know that's your tribe, but equally for anyone listening, I'm hoping you can see that through the work that Dominic does, it actually helps everybody. Um, but why does it drive you so much that right now your work is so important uh, for your particular uh, work and to make the change? Why does it really matter? Yeah, I appreciate that. And you know, when you talk about all of the shifts that are happening in all those different arenas that you just mentioned, Janine, the world is going through, like individuals are microcosms of our, of our world, right? And so like when an individual goes through a massive shift, like I went through over the last 10 years, or others are going through right now, it feels like a breakdown of all of the systems with, with which you stood upon for so many years of your life that provided you stability. Our world is now on a grand scale, rethinking everything. Right, because it's no the game is no longer the same. So we're just seeing at a global standpoint what's happening inside of many of us individually. And as I've gone through dramatic personal changes over the last 10 years, you know, if you've ever heard the term ego death, like there's a part of my ego that has died and then had to be reborn, like a like a, an identity death of I'm a corporate leader to even becoming a you know an entrepreneur that requires a certain kind of putting one part of me to bed and another part of me to life. Uh, the person who decided to stop drinking the way that I was drinking, you know, that requires a certain kind of ego death to new life. There's always death in life, death in life. And in that process, in order to cleanly leave behind what is no longer suiting us, and then to powerfully step into this next new version of who we will become, what's so important amidst that is finding a center, finding stability, because for a period of time, we are going to be in a state of disequilibrium. That's what we are experiencing right now. No one knows which way is up. No one knows what the next three months are going to look like, let alone the next year. And that's what's causing people a lot of fear. So what I did you know, at the beginning of the quarantine was I pulled one of the most important books of my life off the shelf. It was Viktor Frankl's search, Man's Search for Meaning. And for your audience who may not know Viktor Frankl, he's a Holocaust survivor he spent three years in concentration camps. Family was taken from him and exterminated. He was beaten. He was starved. He had every single freedom stripped from him when he was in those concentration camps. Except he found one way. I mean, you talk about like having the whole world taken out from underneath you, right? Everything. And yet he was able to find a center in the most hopeless and meaningless of circumstances. And the, what he said was when we are no longer able to change a situation, we are challenged to change ourselves. When we are no longer able to change a situation, we are challenged to change ourselves. And so as this world is changing, as everything around us is changing, 
the thing that we can, we have to go back to is like, what do we stand for internally? And so the reason why I find this work so important right now, Janine, is most people have never really done a deep enough dive, have gone a deep enough inside to say, who am I? What do I want from this life? What's important to me? What lights my fire? You know, what would I lay down in the road for, like to, to protect? These are questions that we need a lot of space and time for thinking about. And we need some people in our lives who can help us dig, you know, like archaeologists, because we aren't always the one who are able to find it on our own. You know, uh, Henry David Thoreau said, it is easier to sail many thousands of miles through cold and storm and facing cannibals than it is to explore the private sea the Atlantic and Pacific oceans of our being alone with ourselves. And so most people have not learned how to go inward. They don't know how, because we've really kind of balanced and stabilized off of external things, relationships, the job, money. But when that stuff is taken from us or when that stuff is threatened, do we spiral off our access? We do if we don't have a center internally. And so that's why this work is important because what I do is I constantly with men and women, because a lot of the work I've done has been focused with women-only groups. I, I, I tend to do a lot of my work in specialized groups. Um, it's about finding the center and living from the inside out. Gosh, wow! I, you are you are absolutely <clears throat> spot on there. And uh, you know, having spent twenty years myself in corporate, um, you know, now almost fifty. Can you believe it? And watching the journeys of various people uh, who are either still uh, working for the man, as it were, or people that are trying to transition or people that are exploring. Um, it is this, like I've, I've actually said, you know, we're, we're spending so much time acquiring skills and yet we don't feel good enough. We spend mm -hmm. so much time acquiring stuff and yet we're still not happy we spend so much time reaching out <clears throat> to connect with people, more often than not on some sort of social media platform or online dating platform, and yet we still don't feel connection. Mm. So there's something fundamentally missing, which is this, this inner brilliance or this inner self. Now, I am really curious about why, why your passion for men why is it so important? What are you seeing that, and the reason I want to make sure we explore this is because I reckon what you're going to tell me is exactly what I know from my own experience and the beautiful men in my world that I am seeing that are feeling stuck or unsupported. So from your perspective, what's your view? <laughs> Short answer and long answer. Short answer is we really freaking need this. Like we, like we, we are long overdue in needing this. And, and, and the part of the short answer is, you know, when men are out of alignment, when men don't have an inner stability, when they don't have an inner compass, when they don't know what they stand for, we are dangerous to ourselves and to others. Some men implode on themselves. Some men explode on others. And that comes off in the form of many, it takes many different forms. Like I'm sure you can imagine what they are. So the short answer is like, we really need this for ourselves and for all of the environments in which we operate in. You know, the longer answer, Janine, is I, I don't want to say that this was like the, the turning point moment, but there was a moment back in 2014, I was at a festival called the Aspen Ideas Festival. It's basically a summit for all of the world leaders, thought leaders to basically share what the world is going to look like in the next 20, 50, 100, 1,000 years. 
And there was a man, his name was Arthur Brooks, who's an author of a number of books on happiness. Because back in, the, I think, 2013 and 14, happiness was all the rage. And one of the things he said that kind of stuck with me was he posed a question to the audience and he was like, do you know who the ha- unhappiest person in the world is? Just think about it for a second. Like, who's the unhappiest person in the world? And I'm like scratching my brain trying to think of like who's a miserable person. You may be able to answer that much more clearly today in 2020. There's a few people that come to mind, but back then it was like, mm. and and when he answered it, it he kind of took me by surprise. He goes, it's actually not one person. It's a whole class of people. The unhappiest person in the world is a 45-year-old man. And he's like, that's true, not just in the United States, but across different demographic studies. And when he broke it down, he said, this is the time in a man's life where he probably has the most responsibility at both work and at home. He probably has if, you know, if he has a family, many men at that age do with kids, lots of responsibility at home, probably has aging parents that he has to take care of and work. And also this is the time of his life where he's starting to question like how he's built his life. He's probably given up on his friendships or he has lots of work acquaintances who he can drink with and he can talk work with, but no one knows the real inner, inner workings of his heart or his mind or his soul because he doesn't know them himself. And so he feels like the loneliest person in the world. And I can't tell you, Janine, how many men who are surrounded by business, by community, by families who will confide in me and say, Dominic, when they all go to sleep and I'm just the only one in my home by myself, I feel like the loneliest person in the world, right? These are guys who are surrounded by people because they don't know themselves. They've boxed themselves up. We have boxed ourselves up. And many of us have been taught from the very beginning that we learned that we were boys not to show emotion. It's weak. It's effeminate. It's not manly. Suck it up. And so we kind of shut off parts of ourselves for fear of being thought of as weak, not being part of the group, not being someone who could be relied upon. And over the course of time, we chisel all that stuff away to the point where like, we cannot feel ourselves anymore. We don't know what the heck we're doing. We don't know what we're, this is when men start to feel those echoes of, I know I'm capable of more, but I have no clue where to put it. And most guys will just double down, triple down on work or triple down on drinking too much or gambling too much or video gaming too much. There's so many escape mechanisms too much. Well, you know, I don't know how many things we can talk about on this podcast, but I'll just leave other categories on the internet out like you know where where guys just disappear on as well so i see this so clearly janine because i've lived it in so many cases myself as a man and so i've always found it so important that the platform i stand upon that i teach upon always comes from my own lived experience and therefore i could never truly you know do that that kind of work with women There's plenty I can do with women and women's groups. And I've done retreats for women and workshops for women only. And it really informs a lot of the work I do with men. But my my mission and my passion is to help a lot of these guys. And and I suppose the final thing I want to say on this is, you know, when, when men do explode or do implode, a lot of the shrapnel hits the women in their lives unfairly, right? And so like a big part of my mission is to honor women through the work that I am doing. And, and, and oftentimes that means like reaching out to women, the leaders of their own platforms, whether they're coaches for women, intimacy coaches, relationship, professional sales, 
and to bring them onto my platform to talk to men, to let them know what the women in her life are saying. Because a lot of guys don't know how to get under the hood of that in a way where they, where they can hang in and, and really hear it. So those, that's the reason why, Janine, <laughs> the longer story as to why I work with men. Well, I think your mission is very, very clear. I've heard you speak. Um, you know, you've written some phenomenal uh, work. And uh, you also have an incredible TED Talk, uh, which I'm, I'll put in the notes for people to actually listen to. Um, Dominic, if we, you're a very good friend. Remind me of her name. I forgot to write it down. I was so busy listening to you. Your friend, friend. oh Melissa, Melissa, yeah, Melissa Goldberg was the one who woke me up. Yeah. If if we could if we could right here right now uh, bring Melissa into this podcast, what what would you say to her? Ah, oh, that's that's beautiful. You know, I I do a really good job of letting her know how much she changed my life. But uh, let's do this again. Let's see if I could say it in a way. I think this would be cool. Let's see if I could say it in a way that I haven't yet. Um. You know, Melissa, there was a time in my life where I was basically adrift at sea and not knowing anywhere to go. I didn't even have oars in my boat. And I was ashamed. And I was, um, I was almost helpless. I felt like it was a, a, life, a life situation that I would always be in. And the fact that like I could come to you and reveal a part of myself that I was so afraid of and to, to be met with so much love and compassion and wisdom that got me on my way. Like you have given me the gift of freedom and power in my life, uh, which I will forever be grateful for. And you know, the work that I do now impacts and inspires many. And when I follow through on this mission to help 10 million men get on this path of doing inner work over the next 10 years. Like you can look at yourself as, as being a, like an absolute linchpin in making that happen. So like you've created a shift in this world just based on who you are. And I love you for that. Dominic, you've, you've literally just wrapped up for me what this whole concept that I have around helping others unleash their brilliance is all about because unleashing brilliance isn't just about you becoming your brilliant self but actually it's the gift that when you step into that space of magnifying your own brilliance and being brave enough to do that how you actually have the opportunity to create the ripple effect for that individual to then unleash the brilliance in others and that's exactly what I have seen your journey as over the last few years that I've known you and why I really wanted you on this podcast because your journey, your, your journey from your childhood through, uh, you know, working in New York City, earning lots and lots and lots of cash and essentially um, heading down to that dark place of massive drinking and abusive behavior and then coming out of it and now doing what you're doing to me is the epitome of what unleashing brilliance is all about. And I thank you and thank Melissa for unleashing that brilliance in you. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on this, uh, this podcast. I could keep talking and I'm so grateful to have you in my world. 
Um, just thank you, Dominic, for sharing so op- openly and having so much vulnerability on today's podcast. It was my pleasure, Janine, and thank you for asking the questions to allow me to do so. We hope you enjoyed listening to The Janine Garner Show. To follow her blog, purchase her books, or find out more, visit her website, janinegarner.com.au. Brilliant people, extraordinary results.